Hi everyone, this is Deb from Dying to be Found. Before we get started today, I just wanted to mention that episodes contain disturbing discussions on harmful acts and crimes against animals and or humankind. Recordings are not intended for young or sensitive audiences due to the content nature of this podcast. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Shelves. Hi, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited that you're here today. It's always nice to catch up with you on video. I know. So hello everyone. I'm Deb. I'm Shelby. And Beth is off doing her thing again. So when she's not available, I always try to pull my daughter in and she did a great job last time. So we thought we'd give her another try. Yes, I had fun. Oh, hey. Before we get started, we were talking about teachable moments and things like that. So what did you want to share about teachable moments? Um, That raising children is hard. (laughs) And like you said earlier, there is no manual. There is no manual. Do you find it easier between first and second child? Um, yes, they're so different. You know, with the the older one, she's very, very smart. Uh, feel like she kind of has an old soul, and so you tell her something one time, and she just soaks it in. And you know, if you tell her don't do something, then she's not going to do it. But with the the younger one, it's the complete opposite. <laughs> Yep, you you can't compare apples and oranges for sure. No, not at all. So we're trying to teach about love and, you know, how you want to treat people. We just, yes, just trying to teach them how to be respectful to others and, you know, the right and wrong way to kind of go about speaking to people. Speaking and treating. Yes, speaking and treating people. That's a great segue into what we're talking about today, because this story has nothing to do with that golden rule. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. So, hmm, okay. You ready to talk about this story? I am. It's a lot different than what we talked about last time. (laughs) It is very different from the last time. And I'm going to give a couple disclosures. I always put that disclaimer at the beginning of the show, but I do want to give a disclaimer that there is a lot of violence in this episode. And then also I wanted to go over a couple pronunciations I know I'm going to mess up, but we're going to be talking today about a woman named... I'm going to say Ellison Botha to start off with, because I'm sure that's how most Americans would pronunciate this. But Ellison is actually from South Africa. With that, we know pronunciations are a little bit different. I was not able to see how to pronounce her last name on any of the sites that I went to or any of the references. But I did see in one or two areas that there's a couple different ways to pronunciate her last name, which is Bueto or Bota. And it's spelled B-O-T-H-A if anybody wants to go look that up. And I'll certainly put some links into our show notes. So I wanted to at least give you guys that, that it, uh, we're talking about Alison Botha today. And there is quite a lot of um, disturbing content if you want to skip this episode for sure but please come back to us next time so yes and if anybody does figure out the correct south african pronunciation shoot it to us in an email absolutely here we go you ready ready 
So Allison Botha was born on September 22nd, 1967 in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. She was brought up in a home with her single mother and her older brother, Neil, after her parents divorced when Allison was 10 years old. On December 18th of 1994, Allison's life changed, not for the best, but it pretty much changed her life forever. And at that time, she was 27 years old. And before I get into the details, I do want to start off, Shelbs, by telling you that Allison in my for lack of better terms, is a complete badass in this entire situation. She is the poster, I don't want to say poster child. She's a complete image of survivors and Mm -hmm. strong women. So I just, I mean, I'm excited to tell you her tale just from the fact that she's so strong. I'm not excited to Yeah, I I don't want to really, I'm not going to say I'm excited to tell you the details, but where she is today because of everything that happened to her in her life at this point Mm -hmm. is absolutely amazing. I do want to give a spoiler alert. Allison did fall victim to some attackers. And so she is very vocal about her own carelessness in the situation and what happened. I'm going to say it's not really her fault. I don't know how you are. Do you pay attention to your surroundings when you're out and about? Oh, all the time, all the time, whether I'm in parking lots, grocery stores, it does not matter. I love true crime. And so just from that, I've kind of learned to be very aware of my surroundings. You never know in this world. And I'm teaching my daughters to be the same way. Good. I hope I taught you that when you were growing up. Mm -hmm. Good. Because really what happened is that she was just doing her thing. And basically somebody came out of nowhere, which I'll get into, but Allison does take ownership of some of the events that led up to her attack. And she's now a public speaker and an advocate for victims and also considers the fact that she does go out to publicly speak about what happened to her is a healing moment for herself, but it's a teachable moment for others. And we were just talking about teachable moments. Allison wrote a book called I Have Life, and she also has a documentary that I watched And this is actually one of the things that I was really interested in when I first started thinking about doing a podcast. This was definitely at the top of my list. So anybody who has Amazon Prime, there is a movie called Allison out there. And I highly recommend that you watch it. It is from multiple people's points of view. It's from Allison's. She's actually the narrator in that movie. And she brings in the people that from the hospital system that helped to care for her when she was brought into the hospital. It's just an amazing video that you need to watch. And I feel like it's only about an hour or so. So it doesn't take up a lot of time. I'm going to have to kick the family out of the room. Yeah. Or put your earbuds in, put your earbuds (laughs) in and look at your tablet. That's what I do. You can also find an interview out there on YouTube called Allison Botha's incredible survival story. When I was researching this, I just was trying to look past just the prime video. So I was looking out there on the internet to see if there's anything else I found. And I found a really good YouTube video where Allison was being interviewed by news media on a storyline, probably like, you know, first thing in the morning when people get up and watch those news shows. Anyway, Allison is, like I said, she is a badass, and I'm sure she is one of the strongest people I've ever gotten to know through media and such as that because of how she survived and how she refuses to play the victim in all of this. 
And during one interview, Allison was asked how she dealt with the aftermath of this traumatic event. Yes, I am leading up to some traumatic events. So this is my teaser for you today. I want you to keep on listening. Allison said that although she initially suffered from depression, as would most people in the situation, one day she just asked herself or said to herself, on the night of this attack, I had to choose between life or death, and I chose life. My attackers already had their moment, but they don't have power over me now. I mean, that goosebumps. is such. Yeah, I know. I've got goosebumps <laughs> too. So I'm going to go ahead and start into this attack. Allison arrived home at 1 a.m. one night in December, on December 18th of 1994, just after spending the night out with her friends. Earlier in the evening, Allison and her friends spent the day at the beach and eventually ended up back at her apartment, probably to play cards, watch some movies, just to hang out with her friends. And she ended up having to take one of her friends home. When she drove back to her, I'm going to call it a flat, she lives in a flat, but when Allison drove back to her flat, she was not able to find a parking spot close to her house. Basically, if you imagine going into a residential area like apartment buildings or you know houses flats whatever then you always see a bunch of cars parked at the streets right Right. and so that's kind of where Allison was at and so she couldn't find a parking spot close to her her house she ended up having to drive a little bit further down and of course she was able to park where she was within walking distance of her home but she was not as close as she usually got As Allison parked the car, she began collecting laundry that she had just washed at her friend's house that she had just driven home when a man appeared out of nowhere and put a knife to her throat. He ordered her to move seats, which trapped her inside of the car. Just as calm as Allison was in her documentary and interviews that I watched, she remained calm as she was kidnapped. The guy that was in the car with her, his name was Franz Dutoy, who Allison stated that he originally said that his name was Clinton. So, hi, I'm Clinton. Can you move over, please? And Dutoy initially told Allison that he just wanted her to use her car for about an hour. And when she offered it up, plus any money that she might have had on her person, he did not accept. He just wanted to take her for a joyride. Now, to make her feel at ease, he was asking Allison just small talk questions. Hey, do you have a boyfriend? So in her words, it actually gave her a false sense of security. I don't discredit that at all. Me personally, there's no way that I could get a sense of security with a stranger in the car. But if he's saying that he only wants to use a car for an hour, then okay. I mean, what are you going to do afterwards? Are you going to just get me out of the car and take off with it? Um, Well, yeah, with it definitely being after one o'clock in the morning, nothing good happens after midnight. It would not end up well for anybody. Absolutely. I agree. I don't even remember the last. Well, I'm not going to lie. I was out till midnight the other night and I was definitely aware of my surroundings. I was doing something for work that kept me out until 1130 at night. And basically I was with a group of people, but we all linked up like partners. So If you and I were were walking down the street, we were all linked arm in arm, at least Mm -hmm. two of us at a time. So we were walking in single file and we were linked with arms. That way we were with a crowd of people. So I didn't want anybody to get lost. And that aspect, I think, no, you always kind of have to have a plan. 
especially if you're by yourself at night. So as they were driving, Allison and Franz picked up a friend later identified as Tien. Now, this is one of those last names that I've heard. His name was Tiens Greer, but you spell it like Kruger. You know, if you want to make that reference to Freddy Kruger, I, I, you probably want to. So again, I'm just going to call him Tiens because some of these names are a little bit difficult. So they ended up driving out to a dark, bushy area in Port Elizabeth, again, which is in South Africa. And once they arrived, the two men asked if she planned to fight them. And Allison thought, no, I mean, why would I fight you? You're like, I'm up against two guys here. So she basically said no in a calm manner again. And then at that point in time, I will say this is a trigger warning. You might want to skip forward a little bit. They proceeded to molest and rape Allison one after another. And if you could compare both guys, Tien was probably the more vicious of the two and was extremely hateful. Franz, on the other hand, feigned himself to be a gentleman. He's the one that jumped in the car and said that his name was Clinton, right? And mm-hmm. he was the one trying to make small talk with her. So he's the one that is feigning to be a gentleman. But I'm saying that if he was out there doing what he did to Allison, I don't think he's any better than Tien. You know what I mean? For sure. Once they had their way with her, Both guys proceeded to take turns stabbing Allison in the abdomen and pubic area in excess of 37 times. Very gentleman-like. Right. Greer or Tien noticed that Allison's leg was moving or twitching at some point in time. He did not feel like that was enough. So he just proceeded to cut her throat 17 times on top of those 37 stab wounds. Allison was left to die as they drove away. She did state in one of the articles that the two men were determined to kill her. So they attempted to suffocate her as well. And she recalls that Dutoy said he wanted to mutilate her reproductive organs. Although that is not the injuries that she ended up having. I mean, she had some pretty, pretty severe injuries Mm -hmm. when it was all said and done. Now, I will say this. In some of the interviews that I saw, I had, and I might get to this in just a little bit, but Allison was attacked so severely because these two guys, they're not squeaky clean. They don't have a good reputation and this is not their first attack. They had multiple attacks on other women. So basically the the women that they had previous encounters with did survive. And at some point in time, one of them, or actually both of them were pretty much threatened. Don't go to the police, right? Uh, guess what they did? Oh, what? They went to the police. So of course. <laughs> <laughs> they did of not, course. He- they did not heed the warnings and they went to the police. So they were already identified. Both of these guys decided that the next person they were going to attack was not going to be able to live. And that oh next, my gosh. yeah. So the next person was Allison. What was happening after they left? Allison suffered disembowelment of her in- intestines. And are you aware of what that means? I had to Google it. Yeah. For our audience, if you don't know, that is a big word. And disembowelment is basically when your intestines spill out of your, your body. As she was being attacked, Allison continued to go in and out of consciousness And did hear what the two men were saying about, you know, do you think she's still alive? She played dead. So they wouldn't notice that she was still alive. She distinctly remembers the conversation of the men asking, do you think she's dead? And while the other just said, matter of factly, no one can survive that. 
basically both guys thought the job was done. So they went on their merry way. Wow. No, I just, I could not imagine. No. So Franz and Tien pretty much left her to die in the outbush. And Allison did fade in and out of consciousness, but she distinctly remembers leaving her body. So you hear all these different stories of how people are just observing themselves from up high. Right. She does remember laying there and asking herself if she wanted to live or die. And at that moment, oh my gosh, I have goosebumps again. Yeah, me too. Allison chose life. She also said that she had to make sure that Franz and Tien never did this to anyone else. First, Allison wrote the names of both men on a stone where she was left to die. So what was she, if she was writing this on the stone, you know, she had to have been using blood. Mm-hmm. And then I also saw like in the movie, she was, she was writing their name in the sand because she was the outbush was a sandy area. Mm-hmm. So she also wrote, I love mom while she's laying there. Now, afterwards, Allison willed herself to get up to try to walk. And this is when she discovered that she was disemboweled and her intestines were spilling out from her abdomen. She quickly mm-hmm. used her denim shirt to hold her intestines inside. And then she started to crawl for help, even though she was trying to make her way back to the main road where she was coming from. She knew that crawling was not ideal for the situation and she willed herself to stand up and walk. Now, once she was on her feet, Allison discovered that the muscles in her neck were also severed. So she literally had to hold her head up with one hand while holding her intestines in the other inside her body with the other hand. She was able to manage to get back to the main highway And as soon as she got there, she collapsed. So she's in the middle of the road from what I saw. Okay, Shelbs, what would you do if you came up on a person laying in the middle of the road? I mean, obviously stop and try and see if they're okay. Absolutely. I would assume that I would do the same thing, even if I were by myself or at least call 911. But one car car just passed by. Didn't even stop. Oh my gosh. Uh, Come on, dude. I, I don't get it. Maybe it was somebody by themselves, or maybe they just could not believe what they were seeing. So they just kept going. But a second car stopped and a passerby, his name was also Tien, but it's spelled differently. But Tien Eilerd happened to drive by and he discovered Allison lying in the road. He ended up stopping. And as luck would have it, Tien was a veterinarian. So although I'm sure there's a big difference between treating humans and treating animals, as far as these severe injuries, at least he had some kind of medical training, right? Right. Yeah. So he was able to help Allison regardless. And one article that I found said that he used his veterinary training to tuck Allison's thyroid back into her body before calling for help. Now, Interestingly enough, Tien was interviewed in that movie on Amazon Prime and he was saying, yeah, and he was saying that the ambulance, he stayed with her until the, he was on the phone with the emergency people that he had called and the hospital was only 15 minutes away. It took the ambulance 40 minutes to get to her. Now, oh my gosh, did they not just take it seriously? I don't think they did probably maybe not so much like when the call came in, 
You know how if if you've ever heard 911 calls, the operator tries to get mm-hmm. as yeah. much information as they can, right? They probably thought right. that her her condition was too severe and then she'd probably never make it to the hospital. And somewhere in there too, I think Tian ended up in the ambulance ride on the way to the hospital with them. The EMTs were basically saying, well, she's not going to live. I mean, she's just, she's going to expire before we even get to the hospital. So in his opinion, they weren't even driving as fast as they should be when the hospital was 15 minutes away. Right. Right. And two, I mean, this was uh, what, almost 30 years ago now. And I mean, technology was probably way different back then. And hmm. well, once they got to the hospital, the doctors themselves could not believe the condition that Allison was in. The movie that I watched did an amazing job, like I said, of interviewing all the people that tended to her. And one doctor in particular, his name is Dr. David Cummin. While he was interviewed, and this is uh, 30 years later, yeah, um, he was still visibly upset when he was talking about this incident years later. How do you, I mean... I wouldn't be able to forget seeing something, you know, that severe. No. And I'll, I'll tell you a little story. It's a side note. I had a little bit of a traumatic experience last year on my way to work. I, I'm pretty sure I told you this one. I was coming up on an accident. Well, I was coming up on a light and of course, you know, the traffic was coming to a crawl. So I called my boss and said, Hey, I'm on my way. I should, I can, I can see the light. It looks like it's moving pretty well. I will be there momentarily, but I just want to let you know, I'm going to be maybe a couple minutes late. Right. So mm-hmm. as I'm coming up to the light, I mean, this is nowhere near coming up onto a person like this, but I did see, I'm just going to say a dead body in the middle of the road. Now it was covered with a sheet. And to this day, every time I come to that intersection, I still envision, I don't envision it every day of my life, but I will say like talking about it right now, very vivid. And I mean, I was very shaken up by that. I actually had to have somebody let me go into another space and just sit there until I could cry my eyes out for this human being. And I don't don't even know why I was crying. I, I guess I was thinking about all these things of this person had a life 30 minutes mm-hmm. ago, this person has a family and they're going to be getting they may some not bad even news. had known yet. Yeah, absolutely. So I would have um, cried. Well, yeah, I mean, and I did, I was crying for the humanity of it, but I will say when Dr. Cummin was being interviewed and he was showing all those em- emotions so many years later, once you see something, you, it's going to come back to you in a rush. And another doctor ended up pulling the sheets back to show Dr. Cummin the wounds on his app on her abdomen, because he thought the only injuries that she had was on her neck where she was stabbed all those times, right? She had those 37 stabs to her abdomen, like I said earlier, and all that caused extensive da- damage to her. There was a, another doctor who was called to surgery, and it turned out that Dr. Cummin, I want to say he was an anesthesiologist, but the other doctor was called in to do surgery probably just for the neck area. And he's like, oh no, I'm cross-trained on, and I have the skill set to actually take care of Allison from head to foot. They brought their team in and in all, Allison survived her injuries simply because even with the wounds to her throat, her trachea was still intact, Mm -hmm. which gave her the ability to continue to breathe. 
Now, according to Dr. Komen, had the blood vessels that supplied blood to the head and the neck been severed, Allison would have bled out and died within three to four minutes. So gosh, I do um, remember reading that while all of that was uh, going on, she said that, you know, all she saw was a hand going back and forth across her head, but she was just in no, no pain at all. It was just kind of going through the motions of it without the pain, which certainly not a good situation, but makes me feel better for her, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, I think the body's way to naturally protect themselves, the adrenaline, you know, right. I'm going to go ahead and start talking about the arrests here because like I said, Allison was able to write their names by the crime scene. And so they already had the perpetrator's names. And once she was strong enough to talk to the authorities, she actually was able to identify her two attackers as Tien's Clear and Franz Dutoy. The police found that Tien's and Franz both committed two other attacks, like I had mentioned earlier, on women before this incident with Allison, and then decided she would be the one that they would kill the next time, you know, as far as the next person that they were going to attack, because those two women didn't listen to their threats and they did go to the police. Franz and Tien's were quickly arrested since Allison was able to write down the names of her attackers. Whenever they showed her the pictures, she was able to identify them. So now, really quick, if yeah. they had two, two women previously reporting them to the police, why weren't they arrested before that? That's a great question. Now, I don't know what the time frame is between these attacks, but you're right. I mean, if they already identified them, then you would think, or I, I'm going to say, I mean, I don't know. I would actually have I to, mean, I, I didn't know. I didn't research <laughs> it shelves. Shame on me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess, I mean, possibly something was done or they were brought in for questioning or something because they knew that the other two women went to the police. And I'm also questioning why was Allison maybe just randomly chosen? I wouldn't want what Allison had to go through to happen to anybody else, but why, why would they not choose to go attack one of the women that you had told? That's a great oh. concept. And then two, like it was one o'clock at night. Obviously they were up to no good, but how could they just be in that same spot where Allison happened to be driving up at one o'clock in the morning, you know? Right. But you do have a good point. And um, that would be interesting if anybody out there who's listening to this knows how to answer that question. We would love to hear from you. I will say this. Now, Allison did identify her attackers. And I did mention that she pointed at pictures and identified these two guys, wrote their names down. But that wasn't good enough for the police because in South Africa, they actually need a verbal identification. So if you're going to accuse somebody of something, you actually verbally have to say the name. The police told Allison's doctors that the chances of charging Franz and Tien with Allison's attack needed a verbal identification. However, Dr. Cummin was extremely hesitant to disconnect Allison from the trachea tube that she had inserted all the way down through her throat, right? 
because it could cause serious complications. It could cause infections. Dr. Cummin went to Allison to talk to her about this procedure so that she was educated. She did not hesitate. I mean, again, Allison, badass. She motioned to just get the tube out. And she, as soon as the tube was removed, Allison stated both attackers' names without hesitation. Wow. Franz was brought to the police station and told that he was being arrested. And he was shocked to learn, obviously, at that time that Allison survived because, you know, they had a plan and no one was going to walk away from, from something like that. They were wrong. They were absolutely wrong. Allison was right. They were wrong. I love it. Okay. Now, once Allison was strong enough to talk to the authorities, she identified her attackers as Tiens Kreer and Franz Dutoy. Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the aftermath at the hospital. Allison endured ongoing surgeries and daily scrapings of her abdomen. And that process or procedure is they had to scrape her skin until it bled every day to force new cells to grow. And she had to do this for months, shelves. Oh, my gosh. She had multiple plastic surgeries on her neck. And although Allison admitted that she suffered a great deal of pain, she continues to have health issues today because of the attack. But she thanked everyone collectively who saved her life because, you know, she was, again, a strong individual and just did everything that she needed to do to get these people behind bars. Now, let's move on to the trial. Allison was ordered to take a psychic evaluation before the upcoming trial, which was scheduled about six months after her attack. And would you like to know why she had to get a psychic evaluation? Why? Because she was not showing any outward anger towards her attackers. Oh my gosh. I'm not going to say that she was the one that was, you know, on trial here, but you know, I told you from the very beginning, Allison has a very even personality. Yeah. And she, I mean, just her disposition, her disposition is so peaceful. She's just so peaceful. She was not. I'm the the complete opposite. If I were in that (laughs) position, I am strong willed. I would want to get back at them. You are strong willed. Not going (laughs) to disagree with you there, Shelves. (laughs) That's just me. But um, yeah, they would definitely get something coming to them. (laughs) (laughs) Verbally, right? Yes. Yes. So she wasn't showing outward anger, but she did admit that she was extremely angry on the inside at all the things that she was asked to do from a legal standpoint. Let's take the trachea tube out. I need to hear the names, right? And then she was actually told that she had to have those daily scrapings of her abdomen. They were documenting her healing periods. Every time she went in, she had to get the scrapings and they would document. And then she would be asked for them to take pictures of that area. She said in the interview that she had to drop her pants on a dime so that they could document how her healing process was coming along. That so that they would have that for the trial. Mm -mm. The court system required the victim to physically stand in the presence of the accused. Now, listen to this. She would be required by law to place her hand on the shoulder of the person that she was accusing. Because according to the South African court system, for her to be physically present in the same room and putting her hand on their shoulder, it proved 
that she was accusing somebody of a crime. Can you believe that? I hope they've changed that law. They actually did because believe it or not. Okay, good. And they changed that law because of Allison's case. Really? Yes. Now, the police attempted a new approach during this process, and they wanted to place the accused in front of a one-way glass. Now, you've seen all these crime shows where you've got people um, in a room. Or you can see out, but you can't see in. Correct. So they actually put the two accused in front of that one-way glass, and they had a lineup. The victim was able to identify them that way. So I'm assuming just from you know, the video that I watched, they had videos of the entire thing. So Allison could be standing right there in front of the two people that were behind her behind that one way glass. So they could not see her. She could see them. I mean, they had a lineup and she, without hesitation, she stood there for just a, I don't know, um, literally 10 seconds, looked at probably about eight or 10 people in a lineup and said, um, they look a little bit different, but it's definitely number this and number that. So she was able to identify her her attackers pretty quickly. Now, both of the attackers were later diagnosed as psychopaths, and in their words, they were Satanists. Both Tiens and Franz pled guilty to kidnapping, rape, and attempted murder and were sentenced to life in prison in August of 1995. And I had mentioned that they both identified themselves as Satanists, but authorities highly doubted this to be true during their investigation and incarceration. But authorities highly doubted this to be true during the investigation and incarceration because Franz asked for a pastor to come in and have demons cast out of him. And the person who performed an exorcism later testified in court and stated that Franz mentioned two demons. One was incubus and the other was succubus. Incubus is known as lying upon sleeping women to engage in sexual activity, while succubus is the spirit that tortures males. But Franz was inconsistent on their description and was discredited from his involvement with Satanism because he was just too contradicting on whatever it was that he said to the person coming in to exercise him, right? Okay, so I I just wanted to make a little notation on one of the detectives that was keeping up with both Franz and Tiens while they were going back and forth to court. I think he is also one of these guys, like kudos to him. His name is Melvin Humple, and he was the detective on the case during the time, everything that went on from the beginning to the end. Now, he straight up informed both Franz and Tiens that he was not going to handcuff them to and from the courthouse. He had no intentions of doing that because if they ran, he'd shoot them. That's right. (laughs) Guess what? Neither of the two defendants ran. I'm going to say I I would believe what he had to say, but good for you, Melvin, for keeping that open as a food for thought, right? Right. All right. Let's move on to the parole because basically we do know that both guys were convicted. And on April 7th of 1995, Franz Dutoy was sentenced to three life terms with no chance of parole, while Tiens Creer was sentenced to one life term and 25 years with no parole. On October 2015, both of these defendants became eligible for parole. 
Now, the judge in this case, his name was Judge Chris Jansen, and he regarded both guys a threat to society, and he could impose the death penalty if he felt that it was just, but at the time it would have been considered unconstitutional, so he was not able to impose the death penalty which is why the two defendants got the sentences that they were assigned to. And he did put a note in each file, just basically saying that he regarded as both Franz and Tienz as a threat to society. Now, like I mentioned, both inmates became eligible for parole effective October of 2004, which was extremely hard on Allison, who said that she did suffer from depression because, of course, she's not going to want them to get out, right? And she stated... She stated how hard she lived to survive and that these guys get a chance to get out now to go amongst society again. And a woman from the United States contacted Allison personally to ask her to help Franz get out on parole because she was his fiance. What? Yeah. So I don't know. You know, you find these people that are, uh, pen. I guess they start out as pen pals I I was thinking that's probably how it started. Isn't that amazing? I mean, contacted her directly. One, where did she get the the contact information from, right? Right. So Allison emailed the authorities to find out how to keep both guys behind bars. And in this email, she requested to keep this inquiry confidential. But guess what? The email was printed and given to Franz straight up printed and given to Franz so that he could see an email from Allison saying, I really need for you to consider that these guys remain behind bars and who's in charge, right? Right. Now, at the making of the documentary that I was watching, Franz also demanded a couple things from the producers of the movie. And he wanted a letter from Allison saying that she forgave him. Franz wanted a backdated profit share from Allison's public speaking appearances and book sales. He said because if it weren't for him, Allison would not have a success story to share with the world. Now, finally, somebody had some kind of common sense because these requests or demands, if you want to put them that way, were denied and basically Franz got nothing. Um, As far as I could find, both of these guys are still behind bars But keep in mind that they will continue once they reach, you know, whatever the process is in the the parole process, they will still Mm -hmm. have an opportunity to get out on parole, even to this day. Wow. I'm not very familiar on, I mean, that process, but they should not be able to get out. Absolutely. Now, I just wanted to kind of end things with letting you know that Allison does have a message about this whole situation. After the attack, Allison did suffer from trauma and depression as anybody would. She did choose to leave her job at some point and go on the road as a public speaker and an advocate against rape and violence because she found this to be a way of inspiring other survivors to come forward with their stories. Now, she did say that talking about it really, really was very therapeutic. And once she talked once, she wanted to just keep going. I had mentioned earlier that she had a choice between life and death. And she had two reasons because Before she began attempting to crawl for help, I had mentioned that she could see herself above her body 
And at Mm -hmm. the time, of course, when your body's in shock, you know, you just don't really know how you're reacting. But at the time when she did see herself above her body, she did not realize she was watching herself and she didn't realize it was herself. Ultimately, Allison felt a sense of peace which I can see obviously because of her demeanor. I mean, she's just a beautiful person, beautiful heart, beautiful spirit. So secondly, after she began to crawl, she knew she was ready to die, but she was not willing to die at someone else's hands. From that moment, when she chose life, she knew that she would have to do something. And that is when she got up and she first started to crawl, but she got up and walked. And that, oh gosh, I, again, I have goosebumps. Yeah. Now she feels in the whole scheme of things that men need to be made aware of this type of violence as well, because it's not just a, you know, a a attacker to victim issue. It's basically a societal issue that needs to be addressed. I mean, you know, you do have some family members or some cultures that look down towards women a little bit more than other societies do. But she did state that there needs to be programs out there that makes men aware that this type of violence can be prevented. And if you do have a situation that occurs, and if you're put into something similar as this, then you might want to talk to someone, obviously, because eventually it's going to come out on the surface one way or another, because Allison was holding everything in, right? And she did mention that you have got to talk to someone because it will come out one way or another. I do want to kind of end with this, but in 1995, Allison received recognition for several awards. She received the Rotarian Paul Harris Award for Courage Beyond the Norm in 1995. She also won the Woman of Courage Award from Femina Magazine. She was awarded the Port Elizabeth City Citizen of the Year and then She also received the Africa Magic Viewers Choice Award in 2017 and also got Best Documentary in 2016 for amazing um, everything that she has put out there for survivors. Allison's book, I Have a Life, was translated into seven different languages and became a bestseller, which sold over 90,000 copies. Crazy. Now, the cool thing is, is that Allison beat the odds and eventually went on to have two sons. Now, remember the two perpetrators were trying to injure her reproductive organs, but she has two sons out of this and she is doing very well from everything that I've seen. Any from the time that this occurred to today, she's just a phenomenal, phenomenal human being and amazing. God had a plan. Yes, absolutely. So Um, I did want to say really quick, one really, really cool thing that I had found was the gentleman who was the one who found her, who called 911, the veterinarian, Tien Eilard. He actually, after he went on to save her life, he switched career paths and went into, uh, or I'm sorry, moved from being a veterinarian to a a medical doctor and actually was the doctor to deliver her second (sighs) son. Really? Yep. Oh my gosh, this story, so many goosebumps. 
I know. This awesome. He changed his career path because of Allison's story. He did. I love that. I could tear up. I know, me too. <laughs> this is, I don't know. I mean, you know, at least you're getting something good. Yeah. Something absolutely. bad. Well, there absolutely. we have it. That's Allison Botha. Allison, oh my gosh, you are my hero. You are a badass. <laughs> yes, you are. So um, I'm so, so grateful that I came across your story. And gosh, I mean, if I were to meet you one day, I would, I just, I would be, I would just be starstruck. You're just an amazing human being. So, okay. Well, there we have it. We are done with Allison and I don't know, do we have anything else that we want to share? Yes. Um, just really quick. Instead of introducing me as Shelbs, I do believe I should be inter- introduced as Shelbs and Cat. This is only the second time I have done the podcast, but I am sitting here in my bed and I have both of my beautiful, amazing cats just sitting here and laying with me. I know the, the audience can't see, but do you want to see? Of course I want to see. Now, <laughs> I will say this. The last time that Shelby recorded with me, she, as soon as I turned the recording off, she's like, okay, do you want to see what I've been looking at this whole time? Uh, I'm cat obsessed. So <laughs> they're spoiled. She is they're cat spoiled. obsessed. We will tell you the story about her. What is it? A thousand, a $7,000 cat? Yeah, my $1,000 cat. Or $7 million cat? Yeah, it just keeps growing and growing. She'll be going back to the vet probably this week. And I'm, I don't know, this might be the the right channel because it's pretty gruesome, but uh, I'll save that for next time. Okay, great. Can't wait to hear that. (laughs) All right. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the, the podcast and I hope you keep listening. You can visit our website at dyingtobefound.com, just like you see on the logo. You can find us on social media, social media at dying to be found. Sounds good. Okay. Well, thanks, Shelbs. Anything else to add? Shelbs and cats. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to write that down. You have a great week. And uh, you too. Thank yep, you. I look forward to being here next time. Great. Sounds good. And uh, again, just visit our website. Shelby's picture is on the website as our drop-in guest. So if you have any questions for us, let us know and we will talk to you next week. Mm